0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, if you would, please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back there uh, right next to the A.V. booth. That is our gift to you. We want you to take that home. As you turn there, let me review from last Sunday We learned how Jesus endured the last three hours on the cross, and we read how God the Father visited Golgotha. His presence was immediately noticeable because he he brought a paralyzing darkness. The Father's appearance brought a heaviness that symbolized his supernatural judgment on human sin. (laughs) And we learned how the Father didn't come to punish those mocking Jesus. Surprisingly, he came to punish Jesus himself, all for the sake of you and me, so that we could be reconciled back uh, back to God the Father. A couple key points from last week. We said that when Jesus felt most abandoned by God, Jesus declared his continued trust in God. We discussed how Jesus gave his life. It was not taken from him. And thirdly, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies, how that was a visible manifestation of a spiritual reality. And that reality is that you and and me, we have no access to God because of our sin. We learn that there is is nothing that we can do, there's nothing that we can say that would ever pay the price required to undo what's been done. Sin is not only costly, it's deadly. The Apostle Paul, he says the wages of sin is death. The, The Apostle James, he says when sin is fully grown in our life, it gives birth to death there's a worship song that really says it beautifully. The lyrics go like this. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. See, that's why God sent his son to pay that price. And that's why Jesus said it is finished. Jesus did what he said he would do. And we left our story from last week with God the Father tearing that veil of the temple in two. It's like he reached down from heaven and he just ripped it himself uh, from top to bottom. This veil was unique. Once again, it separated the holy of holies uh, from the holy place. And really that's stage one of of God the Father's visible acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice, of his atonement. Stage two of the Father's acceptance is the resurrection. And we'll get to that next Sunday. So that's all a review. Today, we're going to learn about the burial of Jesus. And it's odd to say this, but really, this is is the funeral for Jesus Christ. Now, we know from other parts of Scripture that Jesus is the King of Kings. Yet, this funeral that we're going to study today, it's anything but a ceremony for a king, let alone God's son. It's important to meet the players in today's text. We're going to meet some new people. And these men and these women, they go well out of their way to honor Jesus when they think that all hope is lost. Why do they think that all hope is lost? Well, let's find out. If you would please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to start in verse 33, just to give us the the full context here of, of this passage. So Mark chapter 15, verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, Well, see, he's, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, and they fixed it on a stick, and they offered him a drink. And then they said, Well, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and Joses, and Salome. In Galilee, these women, they followed him, they took care of him. And many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, he came and boldly went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in linen, and then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and and Mary, the mother of Josie's, were watching where he was laid. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Father, the psalmist writes how we long for your precepts, give us life through your righteousness. And Father, we do pray that your words this day will bring us life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's take a deeper look here at verse 42. When it was already evening, Because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So notice right from the start here that there is an urgency to Jesus' burial. The text says, when it was already evening. So God the Father not only ordained the timing of the crucifixion from last week, but today we see Him take control of the burial for His Son as well. It's important to note here that the Jews have a different calendar than ours, <clears throat> Excuse me, their days start at sundown rather than at midnight. So the time frame here in verse 42 is somewhere between uh, 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Friday afternoon. And we know from last week that Jesus died shortly after 3 p.m. So the day of preparation, that is appropriately titled because everything needed for the Sabbath, it had to be prepared the day before. The Jews were not allowed to to work or shop on the Sabbath day, which is, it's our Saturday. Saturday is their day of worship. So all this preparation uh, for their day of worship, it must be done on Friday. Verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, he's a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God. He came boldly and went to Pilate. And he asks for Jesus' body. Verse 43 is a significant verse. Here we're introduced to a man named Joseph. Mark tells us that he is from a city called Arimathea. Now we don't have any solid evidence of exactly where Arimathea is located. Luke's gospel does tell us that it's a Judean town, which means that it's in southern Israel. Some of our early church fathers, like Eusebius and Jerome, they they say that Arimathea was the same town, the Old Testament town, as Ramah. Ramah was the birthplace of Samuel. Um, Ramah is also where Deborah judged Israel in the book of Judges, but we don't know any of that for sure. So back to verse 43 here, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, So what Mark is telling us here is that Joseph is an honorable man. He has a good reputation. He's also powerful. He has authority. How and why does he have authority? Well, he's one of the the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is, is similar to our Supreme Court. Uh, We don't know what role Joseph played in the Sanhedrin. We don't know if he was a priest or a scribe or an elder. But regardless, he is a good man with a good reputation. But not only that, but look what verse 43 says here. Who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God. So Mark tells us that Joseph, he's just more than a, a pious Jew here. He's unlike the rest of the members of the Sanhedrin. Remember remember now that the the Sanhedrin, that is the elite group of religious leaders that falsely accused Jesus, they arrested Jesus, they beat Jesus, they mocked Him, they're the ones that led Him to Pilate. Both Matthew and John's Gospel tells us that Joseph was a covert disciple of Jesus. And by the way, Joe's not the only one within within the Sanhedrin. We also know that Nicodemus visited Jesus. We also know that Nick stood up to the, to the Sanhedrin's legal proceedings against Jesus. Verse 43, so Joe boldly, he goes to Pilate and he asks for Jesus' body. So picture the scene now. It's late Friday afternoon. Joseph goes to Pilate. Now this proves a couple things. Number one, that, that Joseph carries some weight here socially and politically. Because if he didn't, he, he would have never uh, have met, uh, Pilate would have never met with him. Mark says that Joseph went boldly. So, Joe's actions really are incredibly courageous here. Why is that? Well, because Joseph's request clearly aligns himself with Jesus. Joe moves from being a secret disciple to a disciple. And that's huge. Why? Well, Joseph was running the risk of being expelled from the Sanhedrin, and the risk becomes even more elevated because there is absolutely nothing in it for Joe now. I mean, Jesus is dead. The dream's over, you know, so everybody thinks. Several questions come to my mind when I when I read this text about Joe's boldness here. Let me ask you, do you think that Pilate was in a particularly good mood? in the afternoon, after the morning that he just had? What do you think Joe's Sanhedrin buddies would have thought about this request to Pilate? Yeah. Can you imagine what Pilate was thinking as, as Joseph is asking this question? I mean, the irony of the Jews demanding Pilate to crucify Jesus in the morning, and now he's got another Jew standing right in front of him, Part of the same exact group, who's asking for the body so that he can give Jesus a proper burial in the afternoon. This is just hours later. Is it no wonder that Pilate hated the Jews? He he can't figure them out. I think Pilate may have been thinking something like this: Wasn't it your group that blackmailed me into this crucifying this man in the first place? After I told you guys time and time again that he's innocent. And now you want the body to bury him. Unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's all part of God's providence, right? So, so yeah, the re- this request took incredible courage. It took incredible boldness from Joe. Um, but we, we learn a little bit more detail from Luke's gospel. Luke 23, 50. Let me show this to you. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and their action. So that, I think, is a pretty good lesson for us today. Uh, We, too, must be careful not to paint people or or groups of people with a broad brush. How do we do that today? Oh, those crazy Catholics, have you heard what they've done here lately? Those liberal Lutherans, man, they're out of their mind those Methodists, what are they doing? No, 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 no. We want to be real careful to paint with that real broad brush because we don't want them doing that to us, do we? So back to verse 43. Joe boldly went to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. Now, most of the time, the Romans would let the bodies hang on the cross for days. On occasion, A relative or a close friend would have requested the body and provided a proper burial. Apparently, the mother of Jesus, though, she was so distraught that she could not make a decision. All of Jesus' male disciples, they're AWOL, right? John finally shows back up. But think about this. Everyone, guys, everyone who is associated with Jesus is completely and utterly unprepared for Jesus' burial. No one thought this through. This is an unexpected moment of crisis. Now, if somebody doesn't step up, if somebody doesn't lead, if somebody doesn't do something quickly, Jesus' body is going to be treated like a homeless criminal. Even worse, a pagan. Because it was, it was the day of preparation. And, and Pilate already agreed to take the bodies off the cross quickly. John tells us that they broke the legs of the other two criminals, right? So they could die faster. So what they're getting ready to do now is that the soldiers are going to drag these bodies away and they're going to throw them into the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. The garbage dump was called Gehenna. Jesus made an illustration of Gehenna, right? About hell. So here it is at this moment. It's in God's providence where Joseph of Arimathea, he takes the initiative, he goes, he asks Pilate for the body to prevent that from happening. How does Pilate respond to Joe's request here? Verse 44. Well, Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. He didn't believe him. So summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. So why was Pilate surprised? Well, death by crucifixion typically took two days or more. And that's the whole point of crucifixion, to die painfully, to die slowly, so that people would not commit crimes against Rome. Crucifixion, the whole thing was just a a deterrent. So back to verse 44, Pilate summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. So Pilate makes Joseph wait. Wait. Can you imagine what's going through Joe's mind as he's waiting? As the soldier, he's got to walk back to Golgotha, which is nearly a mile. He's got to summon the centurion, then they have to walk back. Verse 45, when he found out from the centurion that he was dead, he gave the corpse to Joseph. So the centurion finally shows up, confirms Jesus' death. Verse 46, after he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. So we learn in verse 43 that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. Verse 46 here proves it. Because the Sabbath, it starts in just a few hours. And here we see, we see this prominent Jewish leader not merely touching a corpse, He's now handling a corpse. And the Sabbath, the Sabbath day is a holy day. Touching a corpse, it's a very unholy thing to do, um, especially just hours before Passover begins. Uh, this disqualifies Joe from celebrating the Passover meal. So Joe's actions prove that he was not concerned about becoming defiled. He did not care about the Passover event this year. Um, Instead of preparing for the Passover meal, Joseph himself would be be preparing Jesus' body for burial. And that brings us to our first key point. When God changes our heart, we change our priorities. When God changes our heart, we change our priorities. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Uh, The changes in our life Are visible proof of what we say we believe. Verse 46 After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Now, here we see that Joe took great pains to give Jesus a proper burial. John's Gospel is the only one that tells us that Joe was not alone here. Look who shows up. Is it Peter? who promised that he would never deny Jesus? Is it the sons of thunder? James and John. Remember, they, they asked, can we sit at your, your right and your left in, in all of your glory? Was it these guys? Was it Jesus' own disciples? Everybody go like this. No. John 19.38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, was who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... Because of his fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission so that he came and took the body away. Verse 39, Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, he also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And then in verse 40, they They took Jesus' body, they wrapped it in the linen cloth with fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Two things to note here, it would have been nearly impossible for one person to take Jesus' body down off that cross, from from a practical perspective. So we know that Joseph had help from Nicodemus, John's gospel confirms that. And number two, only kings were anointed with that volume of spices, Verse 46 continues, after he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the, in the linen. Make a note here, jo- Joseph is the leading character throughout this narrative. He's the one that's in charge of the whole situation. And, th- and that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't mention Nick at all. They, f- they focus on, on Joe. Now, Joseph must have been a very wise and compassionate man because he had the emotional maturity here to buy linen as he walked from Pilate's palace back to Golgotha. So the question becomes, wait a second, why why didn't Job also buy the spices? Why did he only buy the linen? Well, we have the answer in Nicodemus. It was Nick's job to buy the spices. There is no way that's a coincidence. Because there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God. These two, these two men, what they did is they met up, they set a plan, and they executed it all to the glory of God. The one thing that Joseph and, and Nicodemus here were not able to do was an anoint Jesus' body thoroughly. They did do it properly, but, but not thoroughly. Uh, they simply didn't have time to do that before sunset. Time is running out. And we're going to see that issue come into play next week. What they did do is this, and this was their Jewish custom. So first they had to wash Jesus' body. Imagine how much time that would have taken. Secondly, they would have wrapped Jesus' body in that linen cloth. It would, have, it would have been a very long linen cloth, and they would have wrapped Jesus in that. They would have placed the spices in the linen cloth as they wrapped his body. The Jews did not embalm the, the dead. Um, they, they did everything outside the body. Uh, And then finally, they would have put a, a face cloth on Jesus before they left. Now, after all that was done, Jesus was prepared for a proper burial from a Jewish perspective. Verse 46 continues, Then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and they rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. John's gospel tells us that this tomb was brand new, and it was in a garden close to Golgotha. The importance of the tomb being brand new, that is not a minor detail in the narrative here. It means that no one has ever been buried in it before, which symbolizes the importance of Jesus being a king. Matthew tells us that the tomb belonged to Joseph himself. The text says that it was cut out of the rock. So verse 46 tells us exactly what kind of tomb it was. There were three main Options for tombs, I guess, in in Israel, you had shallow graves. You had what's called a sarcophagi, which is really a stone box that resembles a coffin today. And then you have the caves, like the ones mentioned here. Um, Caves are these rock-cut tombs. They were much more expensive than the other options. This tomb was most likely Joseph's family tomb. And we see that here in verse 46. They rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. So tombs cut out of the rock, they, they, were, close to, they were closed by rolling a stone against the entrance. And they did this so thieves didn't come in and, and steal the personal belongings. Many times the dead were, were buried with their earthly belongings. So either this is a very large flat stone that they rolled. It, it looked like a, a large cylinder or a large disc. Or it could have been a very large rock that was rolled in front of the opening or the cave. Um, family tombs were used time and time again. And, and that's, that's the importance of a rolling stone or a cylinder because it was easier to roll back. If the tomb was just used one time, uh, many times they would cut the rock as a square and that would prevent thieves. It would be harder for the Steves to roll the, the, the rock back. Now, the amazing thing with Jesus' burial here is that it fulfills Old Testament scripture. Look at this. Isaiah 53.9. He was assigned a grave. So that's Jesus. Jesus was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death. So, this is, a, this is a fascinating prophetic verse. No one would have been able to fully comprehend the implications of this verse until after Jesus died. Because remember, the Romans, they planned on throwing Jesus' body into Gehenna. Now, look at the verse. He was assigned with a grave with the wicked. Jesus, they were getting ready to throw his body with the other two thieves into a garbage dump. And yet, the Father disrupts. Man's plans so that his son would indeed have a proper burial in Joseph's tomb fulfilling Isaiah 53.9. Dang! That's cool. Amazing. Verse 47 Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Josie's were watching where he was laid. So these two women are eyewitnesses to Jesus' burial. And you know Joseph and Nicodemus, they're strangers to the women. So, they're, so these two women who love Jesus are watching strangers bury him. Mary Magdalene, Jesus cast out demons from her. And, and by the way, nowhere in Scripture does it say that she was a prostitute. That, that's a rumor that got started. That's, you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Um, the other Mary, Mark has told us in, in chapter 6 that Jesus had brothers named James and Josie's. So the other Mary is uh, Jesus' mother. So the two Marys, they're eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. That's an important note for next Sunday as well. So that's, that's the funeral. That's the burial of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Um, is that the end of the story? Jesus is dead and buried, dot, 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 the end, period. Does Jesus just die as a martyr? Was Jesus a good man who taught good moral things and he just dies a martyr's death? Is Jesus Christ, is he in the same camp as Gandhi and Buddha, the Dalai Lama, Muhammad? I didn't get a chance to study that. What do you guys think? I was was too busy watching American Idol or something. (laughs) Next Sunday, we get to the heart of the gospel. Gandhi, Buddha, Dalai Lama, Mohammed, every other spiritual leader, they're still dead. They're still dead. Next Sunday is the absolute most important part of this story, and it's called the resurrection. Why is it the most important part? The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, that's in vain. And oh, by the way, so is your faith. uh oh! was right. In other words, if Jesus didn't walk out of his grave after being dead for three days, then I'm a liar for everything that I've taught you over the past almost two years now going through the book of Mark. I've been lying to you for nearly two years. And not only that, but you're a fool for believing me. Why would I be a liar and why would you be a fool? The apostle Paul tells us in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Dear friends, if Jesus doesn't walk out of that grave, we've all been lied to. And there is no hope for eternal life. There is no heaven. There's only hell. If Jesus did not walk out of that grave, if the Father did not raise him from the dead. Does God the Father accept Jesus as the substitute for our sin? Does Jesus make propitiation for us? Ah, we'll have to come back next Sunday and find out. Father in heaven, you have given us a spoiler alert here. Some of us have read ahead. And we know, we know that indeed you have raised your son from the dead. And we will never, ever, ever be able to say thank you enough. And that's why we come. That's why we come in worship. Your son is not a martyr. He is not dead. He's very much alive. And he's ruling the entire cosmos. And he's coming back very, very soon. Father, I pray that this message... Of Jesus being alive, that it would drive us to our knees in repentance this week. I pray it penetrates our hard hearts. I pray that this message of Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection, it just flows from our lips, and we would proclaim it to the people, all the people that you place in front of us this week. I pray for our God-intersection's I pray that your little church on the hill is prepared for your divine disruptions to our plans this week, and that you would, that you would give us this incredible privilege to share this life-giving message called the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Amen. amen.